Einstein. Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I'm your host, Joe Magician, and today we're going to be getting real spoopy. Spoopy? Spooky? One of those two. And we're going to apply some bolts directly to your forehead. That's right. We're going to talk about the infamous slash famous theory uh, <laughs> called Bolt On and some other parts of Bruce Bolton applied directly to your forehead by user mmaj413 about how there may only be one Lord Bolton, an immortal kinslayer who wears the skins of his heirs. But not only that, it's the leech lord known for his regular blood drainings by leech, actually a vampire. And what lies deep within the Dreadfort in those secret rooms that nobody in the Dreadfort ex admits exist, but seemingly everybody knows about. So that's what we have to look forward to today. An immortal serial killer, maybe a vampire, a castle full of secret rooms with skins made of, with cloaks made of skin. We're going to go full, full spooky on this one for Halloween. Um, as always, I always, I appreciate you guys spending your Saturday with me to talk some Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I actually haven't put out an October Patreon post because honestly, it slipped my mind. It's been a busy few weeks for me, um, especially IRL, but now's a good time as any to, um, give some of the updates I was going to be talking about. So I have two guest appearances coming up in the next week or so. Um, Neither of the podcasts has announced it yet, so I don't really want to ruin their surprise, but look forward to them, uh, including one on Halloween. Now, normally on Halloween night, if you guys have been watching me for a long time, I've done uh, live streams. Last year, I think we did House of the Undying. Previous year, we did um, The Night Fort. Another one we talked about witches with um, St. Rixian and Shakespeare of Thrones. I'm not going to be uh, doing a Halloween live stream, but I figured maybe we could do something, you know, a little different. Uh, and I thought that would be maybe doing like some kind of um, group watch or something like that of my favorite horror movie and my Halloween tradition, watching The Shining. Um, I'm going to investigate like how many we can do at the same time. I've read somewhere like 50, but maybe it can be more. Um, probably post this out on Patreon first. Maybe this is something I can stream out while we're watching and everyone can watch it together. I, I don't know. I thought that'd be a fun, different thing to do because I will be on somebody else's live stream on Halloween. Um, yeah. So I thought it would be a, a nice fun way and we can all just go to the Overlook Hotel and, you know, check in, have a great time. Nothing crazy is going to happen. It's just a normal hotel. There's nothing weird about the Overlook. Absolutely nothing weird about it. Nothing going on. Just a normal story about his guy and his wife and his kid having just a chill one snowed in in a not haunted hotel uh it is actually that is my favorite horror movie and actually maybe my favorite movie i do love the shining and as always um for the stream if you guys could absolutely slam that like button get to 150 likes i got my very cool gandalf hat, hat sitting right here and then right over my shoulder i got my very very fancy Gurm hat with the um, emerald emerald turtle pin on it. So 150 likes for Gandalf, 175 for that baby. Throw him right on. Although I do have a good hair day going. It does seem a shame to ruin it, but I'll do it. So yeah, slam that like button. Uh, I really appreciate you guys doing all that you do, um, as well as you know subscribing, leaving a review if you're listening to this on a podcast version, uh, leaving comments. You know the YouTube weirwood algorithm is very bloodthirsty. Much like uh, the tree at White Tree Village, it requires sacrifices in order to work. So if you could, I really appreciate it. And also, um, I want to say thank you to all my lovely, lovely patrons out there who get early access to videos, the patron slack, and much more. Um, and also, actually, we already got a PayPal donation 
from uh, Ramona, who sent in $10 earlier with um, no message, but thank you so much, Ramona. She also left some comments on Patreon, so we get into those later. Ah, it logs me out of Patreon. I mean, PayPal. Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, like, subscribe, comment, do all, do all the things. Like, I appreciate the monetary support, but, you know, just doing those small things while you're watching is um, a lot more helpful, and I really appreciate it. So... With all that fun promo stuff out of the way, let's let's go ahead and get into a little bit of talk about old Loose Roos Bolton, my favorite nickname for him. I don't even know why people call him that. I think it's just because it rhymes. Um, <laughs> or it's just that the Roos is loose. I think that's where it comes from. So I thought I would start out with uh, a quote that really sets the tone for the Bolton family and kind of lets you know that there are strange things afoot that George wants you to think about uh, Roos and Ramsey and the entire dynasty in a very, very particular way. Uh, this comes in later in A Dance with Giants, but I think it's like the most emblematic one. And this comes from the always right about the Boltons, Barbary Dustin. <clears throat> Roos has no feelings, you see. Those leeches he loves so well sucked all the passions out of him years ago. He does not love. He does not hate. He does not grieve. This is a game to him, mildly diverting. Some men hunt, some hawk. Some tumble dice. Roos plays with men. You and me, these frays, Lord Manderly, his plump new wife, even his bastard. We are but his playthings. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's a that is a quote there from Lady Dustin, one that seems to line up with everything else we see from Roos and um his apprentice in Ramsey Bolton. Yeah, that, that's kind of how it goes. He kind of, he is, he seems devoid of emotion. He doesn't seem to connect with anybody. It's almost like he's like a Crusader Kings character <laughs> where it's like, he's not real. He's just like mercilessly amusing himself and, and accruing power over time. Um, yeah, it just seems like he's doing that. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly um, off-putting the way he acts. Um, yes, that is a description of a psychopath. Correct. I think that's what George is going for here. And as since we're talking about, well, I mean, I put it in the very, very good Photoshop I put up as the thumbnail. Um, but first thing we're going to talk about is bolt on. Now, this is a very famous fan theory. Let's see in the chat. Okay. So there's 101 people, 101 people watching right now. Press one if you have heard of bolt on before the stream. Press two if you are not inside the Bolton cult. Let's see. Let's see. I, I'm kind of curious how this will play out. One, if you've heard of Bolt on, two, if you have not. Well, I sent my Duncan. Okay. A lot of ones. Uh, mostly ones, a few twos. So this is, um, okay. Yeah, I would say that's probably about 75% ones. So most of you have heard of Bolt on, but uh, some of you haven't. And the reason for this is that this is the most infamous, I think, Reddit fan theory uh, that got posted on the R, A Song of Ice and Fire board, of which I, of course, am a moderator. Oh, interesting, Sasuke, okay, saying one and a half. You've heard of it, but don't really know what it is. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so we're just going to go through it. You, um, It's actually relatively short as far as fan theories go. When you think of fan theories, you probably think of like multi-page um, essays with like rigorous <laughs> proving and uh, lots of quotes. In the, and Bolt-On is actually pretty short. It's probably about a, maybe a page. I think that's about it. Um, as I said, it was posted on the Song of Ice and Fireboard six years ago by user MAJ312. 
It won the 2014 Shiniest Tinfoil Award. It probably could have won the following years too, because this is one of those one of those theories that really makes people scratch their head and go, "What the hell? What are you talking about?" Uh, it has, as of this moment, seventeen hundred and eighty six more votes than Dan votes. By the way, if you guys go on Reddit and you ever wonder what the number means, that's actually net upvotes. So it had seventeen hundred and eighty six more upvotes than downvotes on it. It's not a total number or anything like that. It, it's a it's a net thing. The more you know, Reddit mods here to help you. <laughs> uh, I actually took the time uh, yesterday and looked into user MAG MAJ three one two, and this was by no means the only Bolton thing they post. They posted. They wrote about. They wrote fourteen posts for a Song of Ice and Fire. Ten of them were related to the Boltons in some way, but they're mostly about Roose Bolton himself. Uh, some of the titles go uh, Ramsey apologetics possible direction of the Bolton storyline, Bruce Bolton ages just a number. And then, of course, the most popular one, most of these did not come anywhere near the upvotes, is, uh, as I said at the beginning, bolt on applied directly to the forehead, which tells you, by the way, if you're an aspiring theory writer or you're trying to make YouTube videos or any sort of thing, titles matter. <laughs> because a lot of people clicked on it because that is an intriguing title and then it was short and it was also kind of batshit insane, but kind of not. It has like that right mix of things that make sense, but also things that are like, what the hell are you talking about? It's it has like all the perfect things to go viral. It's the sort of thing you would tell your friends about. Make sure you put you uh, you title your things well, like Ramsey apologetics. OK, not much to click there. Possible direction of the Bolton storyline. All right. Bolt on apply directly to the forehead. What the hell is this talking about? It's like something to do with like actual bolts being applied to your forehead. Is it something like Frankenstein? I don't know. I got to check it out. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Storms as a spaceship is uh, tinfoil year. There are more tinfoil, but most of them do not get popular. This was an extremely popular one. Um, I also looked at their total karma. And despite this being one of the most well-known fan theories in the fan in the fandom, that's not like that's like especially considered tinfoil. Like everyone knows RLJ, but that, that's not tinfoil. This is straight tinfoil. Um, the user themselves only has about 4,200, um, comment and post karma. So most of it actually came from bolt on. And then they just kind of, this was like their, this was their one hit wonder. The rest of them were kind of like, whatever. I imagine they went to our dread fort quite a lot. Oh, Hey lady leaf. Uh, thanks for leaving the like. Oh, two likes. There you go. What a champion you are. Okay. So let's talk about it. What exactly is bolt on? So it has a, three basic points to it to support the um, support the conclusion. One, the faceless men have this magic ability to change their face based around um, skinning faces and wearing them. So uh, I'm just going to read this out here because, again, this is a pretty short quote. Recall the faceless men and their methods for disguise. They use the cured skin of other people's faces and magically fuse these masks to their face with their own blood. They assume that person's identity and none the wiser. Factual. This is correct. This is how the faceless men's ability work. Uh, we see this in Arya's chapter where she puts on the face of the ugly little girl. And apparently everyone sees her as the ugly little girl from then on. She takes on her appearance and actually she goes even further and starts seeing, hearing and feeling her memories and personality, um, which is an effect I'm going to talk about in a, in a later video that I find super interesting. But yeah, that is correct. That is that is point one of bolt on. This is true. That is what the faceless men do and how it works. OK, uh, they also connect us to the Boltons, that the Boltons are well known for skinning people. OK, that that's where that comes in. 
Point two, the Starks are legitimately magical. They are wargs for most of their history. Bran is becoming something more, but yes, they are a legitimately magical family. And yet the Boltons, among all their enemies, have not only survived the Starks, but they have thrived, which, yeah, this is, this is also kind of true. It, it's a little weird because the Starks in the past, um, when they started as petty lords and eventually made their way to Kings of Winter, they did it largely by subjugation and extermination. Um, they were not nice guys, uh, not even close to it. Maester Lewin has a, has a turn of phrase for it. He says, um, hard men are for hard times or something like that. But essentially, they they won the North by conquest, not by um, not by anything else. And yet the Boltons, their biggest enemies were not wiped out like other families were. Um, they were subjugated, but not wiped out. So Bolton goes to posit that perhaps the reason the Boltons survived is that they discovered their own magic, the wearing of skins. So I'm just going to read this out. Uh, yes, Rosie, the Starks of old were dicks. Not kind of, just they did. They just were. Uh, recall that the Boltons were known to have worn the skins of their enemies of cloaks, even having a few Stark skins back at the Dreadfort. Well, what if this was the Bolton ace in the hole? They've been flaying people since the beginning of written history. Is it such a stretch? Yeah, skin stretching. I don't know if that was a pun, but I enjoyed it. Um, oh, thank you for the subscription, Sun Goku. Um, would it be such a stretch that they know some magic art pertaining to human skin? I think this is the ultimate survival technique. I don't know about that one. About to be captured by the Starks. Okay, well, let me just don my Lord of Winterfell skin suit and tell him the fuck off. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Okay, so and then we get to point three. Uh, this point relates to Ramsey and that Roos insists on keeping him around and alive, despite the fact that Ramsey's a notorious shithead that Roos doesn't seem that much respect for. And he has all these flaws that are going to make him a bad ruler and maybe destroy the family. But Roos is still doing it. Okay, so here's the <laughs> here's the quote from Bolton. But what if there was another reason Roos was keeping Ramsey alive? Why did Roos spare Ramsey when he first found out he had a bastard? Well, Ramsey had his eyes. These, these. <laughs> Roos is keeping Ramsey around because Roos plans on stealing Ramsey's identity. Roos plans on stealing Ramsey's face. Whoa, whoa. This, this is where, this is the tinfoil. We have gone, we have like riding a roller coaster up to the top. We've, we've gone to the top. They've built the first parts on like things that are real, that are true or things that seem like kind of odd. And now we're about to go down the hill right into tinfoil land. All right. So we get to the grand reveal. Here it is. Because Roos is immortal. How he achieved this? I'm not sure. That's always a good start. That's what you like to hear. I have a theory. One theory that I like is that the Bolton line began when the Knights King and other had a half human child. The child grew to an adult, but then ceased to age. How could the strange creature continue its existence while living in the world of men? It must pretend. It must be cautious. It must look to live and die and give birth to heirs like men do. And when it has lived 50 or 60 years, not, lo not long enough for its unlined face and dark hair to, to draw too much attention, it flays the sun with pale, pale eyes and assumes his identity. Holy shit. Okay, so yeah, we have gone off, we have gone off the rails here. <laughs> So the theory itself essentially goes, if you wanted to summarize Bolton, the, there's been only one Lord Bolton throughout history. And it's essentially um, a plot line you see from a lot of different stories that deal with immortals. Eventually, people notice that you're not aging. So in a lot of other stories, what happens when the immortals are noticed from their positions of power is they essentially fake their death and reappear some other time. Bolton, Bolton goes another way. And it posits that Roos or whoever Roos 
is, whatever his original name is, every 50 to 60 years, it finds a one of its one of its sons or bastards or something like that that has the same pale eyes that Bruce Bolton's known for. And actually Ramsey has and kills them, skins them, and then essentially takes off the bodysuit they're wearing and puts on this new one and assumes the identity of this new son who they now live on until they repeat the process. Wow. There is that is that is a that is a theory. Um, yeah, they they really went for it on that one. Like I said, reasonable point, reasonable point, reasonable point. And actually, uh, let me be brings up. It's so crazy. It seems plausible. Yeah, there are parts of it that are plausible. So uh, what are the parts that are plausible? What are the parts of bolt on that work? Well, yes, the faceless men are real. The whole thing about skinning somebody's face and wearing it and then looking like them is a legitimate practice of magic in George's world. If it works for the faceless men, presumably it could work for somebody else if they figured it out. Okay, so that's basically like that's that's the underpinning of it. The faceless men exist. Therefore, maybe somebody else figured it out. Therefore, the Boltons seem to be doing the same thing. So why not them? Uh, another point where this works that they don't mention, but something I've thought of in the past while reading George's other stories, he does have this happen. Um, if you read his uh, fantasy story into the Lost Lands, in the Lost Lands, I think it is, and his um, his short story, The Skin Trade, much of the same things happens, although it happens with werewolves in that one. But it's basically the same idea where George has this longstanding idea where if you skin a, a magical being, if you wear their skin, then you become it, basically um, in the in the Lost Lands. Um, a werewolf is skinned by a wizard sort of wizard or witch sort of character. They give it to the person that paid them. And when they put on the werewolf skin, when you skin them while they're being a werewolf, you become the werewolf. Um, same sort of thing happens in the skin trade. So it's not like it's not totally off base that George writes about these things. He does write about, um, I mean, in literally in a song of ice and fire, like I was talking about, it happens with the faceless men. OK, so what's the third point? The third point here is basic. Why does it work? It's because the Bolton are creepy. They are. They seem like serial killers. They they constantly brag about um, skinning people alive. They seem like they might be up for this. So, and also George calls attention to um, Roos's and Ramsey's eyes, which are called like pale ice, I think, or dirty ice or something like that. Oh, good. There's <laughs> Dreadfort Leather has showed up. Oh, God. Um, what a stream for you to show up to. Um, uh, Sasuke okay. says, so possibly Ramsey didn't kill Domrick, but Domrick found out family secret. Roos had him killed. Uh, possible. The other, th if you believe in Bolton, uh, some people have suggested that Domrick was killed for having the wrong eyes that he was not useful to Roos. But when he met Ramsey and he saw his eyes, he knew, well, at least I have one I can use. So he allowed Domrick to be killed or killed him himself so that he could become Ramsey. And then he essentially engineered it so Ramsey would be his heir. Um, so, okay, that's bolt on. Why doesn't it work? Well, for one thing, um, a lot of the justifications and the suppositions in it are pretty off. So the main one is like, Ramsey sucks. Why is Roos keeping him around? Well, it's um, there's there's much easier answers than he's trying to uh, flay his son and then steal his body and live as Ramsey Bolton. It's that he doesn't have anybody else. He has no other heirs. Domrick was his only child between his first two wives that even made it past the cradle. 
Um, so if he wants the Bolton family to continue, which it seems like he does, since he's trying to become Lord of the North, then he needs a, a legit, he needs an heir. So Ramsey said, like him or not, you got to keep him around. Um, second thing is that Roos is not particularly trying to keep Ramsey around in like the long term. Why? Because he got married to Walter Frey and he's gotten her pregnant. So he's preparing for a future where he no longer needs Ramsey, which tells you that it's not about the eyes. It's that literally no other options. I mean, he seems certain that Ramsey killed Domeric, but what are you going to do? It's not like he has another kid he can pass the family name on to. Um, I actually suggested in my Wild Wolves video that maybe Roos killed Domeric for being a bastard of Brandon Stark because um, his wife was a wasn't a, it was a Riswell and Brandon spent a lot of time around the Riswells and especially Barbary Riswell who became Barbary Dustin and he was very fond of um, of nailing highborn ladies so that's another suggestion but that's the reason Ramsey's being kept around Roos is like fuck what do I do I got nothing yeah Ramsey's the backup and with no Domeric that got nothing else um, this also assumes also that like Roos hates Ramsey and that he thinks his personality is like totally awful and he would only put up with Ramsey um, if he if he was trying to steal his body. Well, we know that that's not really true. Roos and Ramsey have a lot of interactions, especially in the Reek chapters. And the main thing that Roos has a problem with from Ramsey is not that he kills people or that he skins them or that he tortures them. His problem with Ramsey is that he does it too publicly. Um, he's like, oh man, you you can't turn somebody into boots. You'd ruin our relationship. You'd ruin our political position. It's, he never says, don't turn her into boots because that's morally wrong. That, uh, that never crosses <laughs> Roos's mind. That is not the problem he has with the plans. He is not the problem he has with uh, what Ramsey did to Theon or um, what he did to Lady Hornwood. It's that everyone knows Ramsey did it. So as soon as they lose power, Ramsey's going to be um, executed. You know, all sorts of things. 20 seconds behind. Uh, try refreshing. Oh, a uh, super chat here from uh, Daniel Basic. Basic. Oh, it's not basic. Um, Hey, I'm wondering, oh, by the way, $5. Thank you so much. Very generous. Uh, I'm wondering what you think about Roos telling Rob that a captive king is more valuable than a dead one. This is two chapters before the Red Wedding. So um, it's established early on that um, Roos and the Boltons are big fans of essentially holding people hostage and using that to enforce the demands. When the news comes down about Catelyn and Tyrion, Roos's response is again, like with Lady Dustin, where he said, like, don't turn her into boots. It's a bad political move. He doesn't think that capturing Tyrion and putting him on trial or anything is a bad move. He's just like, why don't you still have him? But you could use him as a hostage. Um, so I think if it was up to Roos, he would he would with the Red Wedding, I think if it was up to him, he would have kept Rob hostage or had a stark heir essentially to rule through and married to Ramsey and that kind of thing. That's sort of basically what happens with fake Arya. That's basic. That's his plan where she's not Arya, but the idea is that he's holding her hostage and therefore he uses that to maintain power over the North. So yeah, I, I, I do think if it was up to Roost, that's what he would have done at the Red Wedding. Um, <laughs> yes, Ion uh, Trone. Does it too publicly. Yeah, he uh, everyone knows Roos is a creepy guy, but they don't know exactly how creepy. They just know there's a lot of dread around it without the particular um, behaviors that that's his preferred way of ruling. That's the Bolton way of ruling using reputation. Ramsey's using action, which he doesn't like. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I think he was talking about, Daniel. I think he was talking about how 
Um, he would rather keep Rob alive as and use him as a hostage, essentially, to get what he wants out of the Starks in the North. But it's not up to him at that point. It's up to um, Tywin Lannister. It's up to Walder Frey what's going to happen. You know, even in his betrayals, Roose has his own uh, critiques of what's going on. Ah, uh, yes, Jay Moore. Hey, Rob becoming Reek. Yeah, that's the, he probably that's probably what Roose would have preferred to done with Rob Stark and turn him into a puppet, basically. Um, so what, what are the what are the other things that's that's wrong with Bolton? Um, so one of the suppositions here is that the Boltons are so evil and so wrong that the North would not tolerate them and they should have been wiped out and they haven't. Therefore, magic. Magic is the reason that they've been able to not do it. So one problem with this is that there's a narrative reason for this. George wants a villainous character in the North, somebody that wants to betray the Starks. And to do that, he wanted to be someone powerful. So he made up the Boltons, a powerful vassal house that are planning on betraying the Starks at the first sign of trouble and that's why that's why they exist like in terms of like well in the real world maybe they wouldn't survive it's like well you have to the narrative reason is the top one he, he wants those characters so he writes them so they exist but if you wanted to go like more in universe and think about like why are they still there well, I kind of actually Daniel's question uh, goes to this and also Bruce and Ramsey's behavior. It's basically that they were very, they're very, very fond of kidnapping people and holding them hostage or kidnap or torturing them and using that as a shield against uh, stark aggression. A lot of the stories that we hear about the Starks and the Boltons involve not so much the Starks catching Boltons and doing anything to them, but the other way around. Quite a lot of Stark princes and kings have been caught by the Boltons. And you can imagine, maybe like Greek, maybe they held them in the dungeons for 30 years. And kind of like you see with Bloodraven and the Blackfires, using that kind of um, using that kind of power and cruelty in order to enforce your demands. Um, another problem with this is actually Amy Blackfire in the chat's talking about this, but um, the, the, the Boltons are, I think, the most recent uh, vassal of the Starks. Most of the other um, houses in the North swore fealty to the Starks thousands and thousands of years before. Um, when they were small, petty kings, uh, the Starks beat them in some war, subjugated them, married their daughters or whatever, or made them extinct. But the Boltons have survived them much, much longer than anyone else. So it's essentially that like the Starks have calmed down their rule. Um, they've have they have effectively changed their reputation in the north from um, like bloodthirsty conquerors into, well, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. The Starks keep us safe, that kind of thing. And if they went out and essentially just burned the Dreadfort to the ground and killed everybody, well, that kind of goes against that narrative they're trying to create. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. The Manderleys. The Manderleys are the most recent. But I think the Boltons are pretty are pretty close after them or before them. Um, the the Red Kings of the Dreadfort held out for quite a long time. This actually gets into a question I got from Patreon um, about the connections. I think it's from... Let me check my... Uh, yes. Ramona on Patreon. She asked, many Bolton Kings bear the name Royce any connections with house royce and this is probably a a way that the starks were unable to wipe out the boltons and that's probably that given the bolton lands and where they sit they probably did have alliances over time with uh house royce itself um probably the red forts some other members of um of the Vale, and they essentially leaned on those in order to make sure that the Starks couldn't just overwhelm them, that there was kind of a threat. And that would explain a lot of the enmity between the Vale and the North, 
you have to remember that a lot of those wars, when they say the North, it means the Starks minus the Boltons. Um, it's also really hard to take the Dreadfort and also kill everybody inside. That takes a particular kind of personality. It takes a very successful conquest, um, especially if winter always coming, that kind of thing. Um, it, it would take um, somebody really committed to genocide like Tywin to take them out. So... Yeah, I would guess that the um, that that's that's two of the reasons that's going on there. That the the naming conventions probably signal that the the Royces and the and the Boltons and maybe someone like the Red Forts or some of the some of the other Bronze Kings vassals uh, were supporters of the Boltons in the North who were their traditional enemies. Um, <clears throat> let me scroll back up. Oh yeah, what's the other problem? Okay. So uh, the the whole thing about like the Starks are wargs and it makes them magical and you can't beat them. Well, that kind of set that that's kind of a, f a false idea. The idea that the that a warg is so powerful that you need your own magics to beat them. A warg is just a person that skin changes a wolf, one wolf. That's it. So it essentially means killing that one person is harder than normal because they have a essentially a familiar that can kill you. That doesn't mean <laughs> that they're like superhuman. As we see with Varamir Sixskins, the guy who has six animals, how does he die? He gets stabbed by a uh, well, his the wall or Melisandre like breaks his mind and he loses his animals. But then he gets stabbed and killed trying to steal a squirrel jacket or squirrel skin jacket. Um, and that's how he dies, but he's one of the most powerful skin changers in wargs in the story. And I didn't really stop him from getting knifed by somebody. So I, I, the idea that you have to be magical to beat the Starks who are wargs, I think that's way off. I, I don't see any reason why that's true. Um, it can be hard to kill an individual, but that doesn't tell you about, um, like that it's an overwhelming advantage. So yeah, those are the problems with like the, the underpinnings of Bolton. Amazingly, it's not the magic that's the problem. It's the could you uh, take somebody's face and wear it and take their appearance? Yes, you could. Do the Boltons do that? Do they? I mean, do they take people's skins and wear them? Yes. Could that mean that maybe they figured out faceless men magic too? Possibly. I mean, like, that's honestly the most reasonable parts. The other parts are just like, those are off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jay Moray and Guilty Undertaker in the chat are saying, they have high utility, but sitting ducks when they're in animals, right? You can't do both at the same time. Um, you can't be warging and also fighting. You essentially can have them do like a, a, a low level telepathy thing to get them to do what you want, but it's 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 not the same thing. And they're yeah, they're most used in recon. <clears throat> so, yeah, <laughs> that's the problems with Boltod. Um, why does keep Ramsey around? Well, he needs an heir. He doesn't have any left. He actually does approve of most of Ramsey's personality, just the way he goes about it. Um, George needs his villains in the north. Um, how do they keep power against the powerful Starks? By being way crueler <laughs> and taking captives and torturing them and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, and wargs are not so powerful that you need magical magic of your own to defeat them. Um, they're cool. They're useful. It's not like they're nothing. But if you compare like a regular warg to like Bran Stark as he is now or Bloodraven, like there's such a massive gap in power there that it's like it's essentially like they have extra reinforcements that happen to be wolves. Useful, but not overwhelming. 
So, yeah. What do you guys think uh, about Bolt-On, those of you who have never heard it before and now that I've explained it to you? Um, good theory, complete tinfoil, you're now convinced. Kind of curious. Because it, it is fun. It's a cool thing to think about. It's a great fantasy idea. It's just like, what the hell? Well, that's what I think anyway. Um, and George does love his immortal characters. Yeah, it, it's fun. Definitely fun. Uh, fun in a way that George likes talking about. Actually, if you, if you really want to see Bolt-On in action, go read... In the Lost Lands and Skin Trade by George R. R. Martin, his short stories, those are essentially bolt on, which is I always find that funny that like uh, the user never brings it up. He's never read them or they've never I don't actually know their gender, so they don't know. They have never indicated that they've read these stories, but they are essentially picking up on the same clues that George is leaving, that he does like the idea and that he has uh, written about it before. So it's like, yeah, props on uh, on that insight. You got that part right. Um, fun is all Erin requires from her tinfoil. Yeah, that sounds right. You know, um, not all tinfoil has to be correct to be valuable. Um, a lot of them are just written for fun and it sort of depends your perspective on them. All right. So let's go into the second idea here. So Roos is a person that inspires quite a lot of, uh, fan theories. So, oh, we got another one here. Um, Another $10 from Daniel. Uh, thank you so much. Very, very generous. So Cat is hallucinating during Rob's death. It's hard to tell if he was killed or not. Daniel's vision indicates that it's Wendell Manderly's body used Grey Wind's head. Not, I'm not familiar with the Wendell Manderly part. Uh, Rob does die. Um, he is he is next level dead. Um, but the the interesting part about his death is that he actually most people think the theory. Well, I'm not sure of most people, but there is a, a popular fan theory that on his death, Rob uh, warged into Grey Wind in order to have a second life. And then Rob died again when the phrase killed Grey Wind in the staples, essentially. Um, I do have a, a thing I'm going to a video I'm going to put out probably after the next one where i uh, talking about what did happen to Rob Stark at the Red Wedding? What happened to him afterwards? What does Lady Stoneheart think about that? I talked about that on a stream a few weeks ago. I do love the idea that Rob Stark is maybe not gone entirely. Um, I do think, but there is kind of a mystery there. So we know, so we're told that um, Rob has um, Grey Wind's head sewed onto his body. So then what happened to Grey Wind's body in Rob's head? And also what happened to the, the sewed on thing afterwards? I think those, I think those are interesting questions to explore. <laughs> Oh, uh, a super chat here from Amy Blackfire, $5. Very generous. I appreciate it, Amy. Apply directly to the forehead. Yeah. If you can't figure it out, it's bolt on is Bolton with the space in between. Um, what is some other tinfoil that you like to think about for the lulls? Um, I actually enjoy quite a bit of tinfoil. It's just I get I don't often think it's true, but it's fun to think about. It's a creative process. That's why I write it myself. Um, you're kind of imagining more and trying to fill in blanks or solve a puzzle and that kind of thing. Uh, what's tinfoil? The, what's a particular tinfoil? Um, I think I talked about this before, the Pando theory, the one about how all the weirwoods are connected underground and there's like one big weirwood that has like this massive root structure that came up and created all of them. Like, I don't think it's true, but that is a really interesting idea and I really love the, um, the connections and kind of like bolt on there is there, there's a grain of truth in there um the idea that the weirwoods are all connected just maybe not physically and it offers a elegant solution for all the tunnels like if they're if they're that's where the roots were that have now essentially died off over the thousands of years um that's one i really enjoy that um yeah i don't think is particularly true 
Actually, some of my old ones uh, I don't think are true anymore. Doesn't mean I didn't have fun writing them. Doesn't mean I don't have fun talking about them. It's just like probably not true anymore. Or I have learned more or have a different perspective <laughs> since I did them. Um, oh, another super chat here from Hunter Grant, $5. Thank you so much. Super generous. Uh, so the faceless men are Boltons. Maybe. There are people that write those theories. Um, a lot on Reddit, <laughs> honestly. Uh, for some reason, the Boltons are very popular on the Song of Ice and Fire board. And I have seen, I have read theories where people have posited that the connections that are brought up in Bolt-On and explored them more and found different, um, found different connections to them and found more evidence. Oh, they found more quotes. Well, I don't know about evidence, but, uh, there is a way to read it that the, um, that the, essentially the Boltons are like werewolf hunters. If you consider the Starks werewolves, considering George likes writing about werewolves, um, that is not in that is not an illogical <clears throat> that is not an illogical jump to make. Oh, another super chat. Uh, Dan Daniel B says uh, Danny's house and dying vision shows that Rob what we think is Rob with a gray one's head holding him leg and lamb like a scepter during the red wedding. Oh, um, I have never seen that before. Um, I would guess that since the house of the undying comes before the red wedding, that George just decided not that he made the imagery and then just didn't put it into the actual version. Um, rather than other than that being Wendell Manderly. Like, I, I, Rob is dead, but I, I, th I think that's uncovering a author's mistake that he did not translate one to one um, from the from the House of the Undying vision to the Red Wedding. Because, um, like, also, I mean, in that vision, you see the body with Grey Wind's head and it's alive and it looks at Danny and it says it looks at her with mute appeal. Um, also, you have most of the victims of the Red Wedding sitting there still in their seats, like, as they died mid mid feast, which isn't what happened. Like we know from the uh, from the red wedding itself that it was a brutal brutal kill fest, and that as soon as it was done, the bodies essentially got uh, stripped and thrown into the river. So I would guess that um, George just decided not to or forgot about that particular thing. But who knows? Um, there's also a, a popular theory out there about the red wedding 2.0, and that would be that uh, Lady Stoneheart is going to make another red wedding happen happen for the phrase. Perhaps that imagery will show up there. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, good catch. I have never seen that before. Yeah, Guilty Undercare says, whatever visions in the future Danny saw were scrambled or more symbolic than literal. I would guess. Oh, man, Daniel, you are on a roll. <laughs> Another five dollars. Uh, appreciate it very much. By the end of book five, all of Ned's sons are supposedly dead. Wouldn't it make it sense that Ned's sons are alive? Not everyone but Rob. I like the idea that Rob. Um, no, no reason to be sorry. I appreciate the uh, the questions. Um, so I like the idea that Rob may come back from the dead. Um, George has said, I think that he wished he had kept Rob alive more or at least given a POV because he is an interesting character. I'd like to see more from him. Um, I think if Rob was actually like alive out there somewhere, he seems to be wanting to do more things with uh, Sansa. And as long as if any of her brothers show back up, then that kind of ruins that. But I, I would definitely like to see an undead Rob Stark. That would be kind of cool. Okay, appreciate the questions. Um, uh, Ned had five sons. Wait, I don't think he had five sons. Did he? he had Rob, Bran, Rickon, and supposedly John. I'm not forgetting anybody, am I? No, that's it. Yeah, he only had th uh, he had four sons, but actually three. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Cam, Cam. The uh, the part of the Pando theory is referencing the quaking aspens, which essentially one organism takes over an entire forest. They also talk about, um, obviously, the the giant funguses. The largest organism in the world is a one big fungus, basically. <clears throat> Um, what was I talking about? 
Oh yeah, slam the like button, you guys. Oh, thank you for the uh, subscription through the moon door. Welcome. Uh, slam that like button, got 157 viewers, 94 likes. So you want to see me wear my uh, my super cool Gandalf hat? Make sure you slam that like button. So let's go back to um, Roos being a vampire. So this is another popular theory about Roos. And it's like, what the, what the hell? Why are there so many weird theories about Roos? Let's get into this one, though, because people have written quite a lot of it. So there are a few things, much like Bolton, that people key in on as maybe Roos being vampire-like. <clears throat> and the first is the leashings themselves. Uh, this is a thing that kind of left out of the show um, because it's kind of a weird detail, doesn't do anything. It's kind of like uh, makes Roos seem creepier, and it's that he gets regular leechings. Meaning they, um, there's a scene where Arya walks in and basically his entire body is, is covered with leeches attached to him. And um, he says he's doing it because he's trying to um, remove the bad blood. It's important for your health to constantly leech yourself. Don't do this. Leeching's very bad for you. Um, hang on a second. Do not, do not leech. It's one of those old um, medicinal things like humors and whatever that doesn't actually do anything. So please don't leech yourself. But um <laughs> <laughs> so the comparison that where people think like, oh, maybe this has something to do with um, oh, uh, another follow from Hunter Grant. Thank you, Hunter. Um, so cold hands, when he's talking to Bran, he talks about how after you're dead and you're basically you're an undead character that the blood, since your heart's no longer beating, essentially ends up in your extremities and it makes your hands look hands and feet look like um, look like they're uh, they're discolored and weird. So. The theory has gone that if Roos is actually undead and he's a vampire, well, perhaps he has the same problem. Maybe the blood congeals or tends to pool somewhere in his body. And so he uses the leeches regularly to get rid of the excess blood. It's um interesting connection there where drawing on cold hands to inform Roos's leechings. Um, presumably, if he's sucking blood, then maybe he ends up with too much of it. And then the excess, he gets leached out. Sure. Vampire things. <laughs> just vampire things um so the second thing that people usually point to for why he's a vampire is actually uh the house bolton sigil and that is the show has a very toned down version of the bolton sigil they have a um a man on a um a, a rack basically being tortured the, sh the book version is pretty horrific. It is a it is actually just a flayed man. It is a person standing there with all his skin removed. Um, and then it's on a pink background with droplets of blood everywhere. And not this is like a really weird sigil, especially in the north, but everywhere in Westeros. Um, you know, lots of families have different like preferred methods of killing people or executions or their way of going about things. Most of them don't put it on their sigil. Like the Starks are known for um, beheading people. That's not their sigil. The sigil's a dire wolf. The Targaryens are known for feeding people to dragons and also um, with Ares, burning them alive with wildfire. That is not their sigil. It's not Rickard Stark suspended above a throne room with wildfire burning him. But for some reason, the Boltons and George have decided that everyone should know that the Boltons <clears throat> skin people and that there's tons of blood everywhere. Um, so if you're if you're advertising that you're like torturous sociopaths and that you love playing with blood, uh, people have essentially gone like, well, those are kind of like vampire things because vampires are not only known for 
um, sucking blood, but being basically like monsters and that they kill people in horrific ways and they have uh, tons of sadism because they are not humans. Okay, sure. Uh, So, but this actually goes a little bit further and that's what I think George is referencing here. And that may be um, the supposed inspiration for the original vampire Dracula, and that is Vlad Dracul, the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler, as he's most often known. <clears throat> uh, Vlad was a 15th century uh, Romanian ruler who was known throughout the world, well, at least Romania and uh, the Ottoman Empire and the, his nearby enemies for taking his prisoners and shoving poles through them, impaling them, and watching them die slowly. Um, he's, this is one of those tough ones to figure out because as per usual, all the bad things about Vlad are the things we hear from his enemies. So, um, but the information we do get is basically that he was very cold. He was a vengeful person and his favorite thing to do was figure out more and more interesting ways of killing people, especially involving, um, impaling them, but not necessarily. There's, um, famous wood carvings essentially of Vlad sitting down and eating a meal surrounded by like a field of people impaled. <coughs> I know it's not, I, I, I read the thing that um that maybe vlad dracul or vlad the impaler is probably not the exact inspiration that um but i don't expect george to have looked too hard into it and most people don't either um when you're talking about vlad the impaler a lot of what we're what you see about Bruce Bolton and what we hear about him basically run, lines up with the um, kind of the exaggerated version of Vlad. <laughs> um, that th- th- That's probably the reference. It doesn't have to be historically accurate. Like I said, like most of the stories about Vlad came from people uh, who didn't like him. Like the Ottomans said that kind of things. The Saxons said that kind of things. I'm sure he did some terrible things most like warlike rulers do but you know that kind of thing happens but the the way he's described seems to be kind of an inspiration and it's that those stories that have been attributed to uh dracula for bram uh, bram stoker 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 i think and also popular culture um kind of lines up i wouldn't be surprised if george was writing Rus to be more like these stories and not like actually historically accurate because he's not ready for historical accuracy. Um, yeah, people are telling Vlad stories in the chat. There's a lot of them. Uh, he had a lot of problems with the Ottomans or the Turks as they were. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of uh, what a guy. But you can imagine like a few hundred years in the future, like Ramsey Bolton, maybe the stories about him would be something similar to the kind of things you see about Vlad Dracul or Vlad the Impaler, as he's known. Um, also, a lot of you may not know this, but George did write, he didn't just write about werewolves and skin changing. He also wrote an entire book about vampires called Fever Dream. Um, if you guys have listened to Nauticast on their um, patron only episodes, uh, they've done a read through on it. I haven't gotten into it myself. I do own it. That's on my reading list. But um, again, the the vampires that George writes in Fever Dream, spoiler alert, there are vampires in Fever Dream before you pick it up. Um, sorry about that. Is the behavior of those vampires lines up pretty well with Roose Bolton as a character. Um, they have a lot of a very cold kind of smooth exterior, um, kind of an inhumanness about them that also lines up with the way Roos is written. 
So I don't think it's I don't think it's a a misidentification to read Ruth Bolton and think, hey, this guy seems like a vampire because George writes about vampires and um and you know you're picking up on a true thing. George is making is writing him like the character doesn't mean he literally is one. Um oh super chat here from uh here be dragons aka Steven Stark <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons ended early. Uh what did you miss? Anything good? Well, I hope it was something good. Um talked about bolt on talking about vampires uh talking about Rob Stark. <clears throat> I have not yeah I have not read Fever Dream but I generally know what it's about. And um, there's there's actually a, a curious title it's giving to one of the primary antagonists in Fever Dream, and he's called a Bloodmaster, essentially. Um, it kind of sounds like a Leech Lord, um, and also the way the Boltons... Like, if you ever seen Roos's, like, armor and the way their sigil is, like, it looks like the sigil vampire would have, basically. Um, so, yeah, there's he's definitely written like George's other vampire character, so kind of makes sense. Um, and then it seems like he kind of took the pop culture um, vampire ideas and maybe some general tortury awful things from, um, from maybe Vlad the Impaler or just some other horrific um, torturous lords throughout history kind of melding together. And so you get this, this general like vibe about Roos that he seems like one of these characters. Um, and that's and that gets to the other point. So Roosh has this like a, a lot of general kind of creepy sociopathic like is nobody likes him and it basically everyone that does interact with him gets gets spooked or has the willies or thinks like he's about to murder them, which might not be incorrect. Um, so I, I grabbed some of the quotes about Roosh uh, to this effect. So just read these and you can see what George is doing pretty easily. Um, this is from Jamie. Bolton's silence is a hundred times more threatening than Vargo Holt's slobbering malevolence. Pale as morning mist, his eyes concealed more than they told. Creepy. Uh, Theon says, here was an agelessness around him, a stillness on Ruth Bolton's face. Rage, rage and joy looked much the same. Uh, again, this goes to the idea of like him being undead or like a vampire or that kind of thing where there's like no emotion left. Um... This is, this is also from Theon. This is no man to jape with. You only had to look at Bolton to know he had more cruelty in his pinky toe than all the phrase combined. George, I think you're trying to tell us something about, uh, about old Roos there. Uh, this is actually from uh, Jon Snow. He said, Eddard Stark had never had any reason to complain of the Lord of the Dreadfort so far as Jon knew. But even so, he had never trusted him with his whispery voice and his pale, pale eyes. So yeah, everyone... Even though they can't exactly pin down what Roos is doing and why he's so creepy, they're uh, they're on guard. Even Eddard, who um, he's like, I don't really, I don't really like this Roos guy. I'm not a fan, <laughs> and that kind of goes for everybody else. Um, and I I wanted to pull up his description of this armor in case you weren't getting the point that George is trying to pull, um, put across that you should think of him as kind of like a vampire character, even though he probably literally is not one. Um, it says back where the press was thickest at the center of the column rode a man armored in gray plate over a quilted tunic of blood red armor. His rondels were wrought in the shape of human heads with open mouths that shrieked in agony. From his shoulders streamed a pink woolen cloak embroidered with droplets of blood. Long streamers of red silk fluttered from the top of his closed helm. So yeah, he's essentially dressed he, his armor. I don't think this is actually him wearing it. I think this is like a body double or something. I don't remember exactly. But basically, he's wearing a fantasy antagonist, a fantasy villain's armor. Like, it's supposed to tell you that 
he's terrifying. He's going to kill people. And it's going to be the worst. Um, and so George is very likely not just drawing on you know, vampires and um, and those kind of characters, but he's also drawing a lot on what you see from like actual sociopaths or psychopaths, like serial killers and murderers, that a lot of times people notice that there is something very off about them right away. Um, I've seen explanations that it's essentially like the way they look and act around people. There's it, it, it like triggers sort of a response in people that they feel like they're being hunted and that puts them in kind of a fight or fight mode. And even though I don't understand why they know that this person is sending off body language or intentions that is very, very off and makes them think like they're in danger. And that seems to be essentially the kind of thing that Roos puts out. Um, but also like, like I was talking about that kind of feeling, the predation idea is very much in play with vampires. That's one of the ways that people in fiction usually tend to recognize them is that they feel like uh, they're, they're being hunted or a person looks at them like they're going to kill them, that kind of thing. So let's, let's get, let's get down to this. Is Roos actually a vampire? Well, no, he's, he's not actually a vampire. Um, he has none of the, he doesn't suck blood. He says, as it sucked out of him, um, he can go out in the sunlight. We haven't seen anything about like garlic or there wouldn't be no crosses, nothing about crossing water. That's a problem for him. Um, he's also like people remember when he was young, he was at the, he was in Robert's rebellion. He fought on the side of Robert with the rest of the North. He was even at the Trident fighting. So yeah, no, not actually, but ex yeah. Um, Jay Moray saying heavily inspired. Exactly. He is extremely heavily inspired by tropes about vampires, by George's own writing that it adds a sense of dread to the character. Ah, dread for it. And just like a general sense of unease around him um, that that he that George plays on and uses as a kind of um, a way of characterizing him. But of course, this doesn't stop people from writing the theories. There are a dime a dozen theories out there that Bruce Bolton's actually a vampire, that this all adds up to him being a real one. No, but, you know, fun tinfoil. That's not true, as I was talking about. No, Amy, he does not sparkle in the sunlight. At least I don't think so. Oh my God, what if he does? Oh, if he's a twilight vampire. That, that's that's one of the other problems. Um, a lot of kind of immortalish characters like vampires and whatever tend not to be in the, the spotlight as much as Roos is. They wouldn't want to be the lord of a um, as powerful as Roos was because everyone knows them. They, they Their identities tend to be um, powerful and rich, but out of the public eye so that they can disappear easily and reappear. But everyone knows who Roos Bolton is. They know what he looks like. So um, that wouldn't wouldn't exactly work um it, it's it's just it's characterization it's very good characterization and very effective because many many fans get the impression that there's something wrong about Roos and basically these are all the reasons why i don't <laughs> i don't know if he loves baseball oh my god um actually i'll do some patron questions right here um we're about an hour ish in i'm gonna go until about four or ten four fifteen or something like that so um eric forig one of my patrons the, the the constant question asker i love all his questions they're always good um does the story ever return to the dread fort does theon's knowledge of it pay off so so the Essentially, what this is asking about is in the in the books, Theon spends the early parts of his Dance with Dragon chapters within the Dreadfort um, being tortured by Ramsay. He has his I think he loses some fingers and toes. 
Um, but he knows quite a lot about the Dread Fort because he was being turned into Reek there. Um, we also know that a, quite a lot of the, the people that lived in Winterfell before it was sacked by Ramsay and taken over by Roos were transported to the Dread Fort into their dungeons. So George has has given Theon the ability to get into the Dread Fort, maybe, or at least he has um, knowledge about it. And there are characters there that would be thematically and um, resonant for people to go visit. So will he do it? So where's Theon right now? Theon is off in the Crofter's Village with Stannis waiting for the Battle of Ice. I'm sorry, I can't put on my hat until I get to 150 likes. Uh, 180 people watching, 111 likes. You guys, slam it. We'll put it on. Uh, slam the like button, not just like things in general. Please don't just slam things. Um, so we'll transition back to the Dreadfort. So in order for that to happen, Theon has to survive the Battle of Ice. Then he has to go back to Winterfell, and then there has to be some reason to go to the Dreadfort. So why would that happen? The main thing would be in some sort of liberation of prisoners, basically. Um, or if they won the Battle of Ice and Ramsay and Roos are dead, or maybe Roos is dead and Ramsay runs back to the Dreadfort, and it's essentially they're going to root him out to end the Boltons once and for all. Um, this is getting pretty close in the timeline in terms of the others coming, and like the, there's only two books left. If there's going to be some kind of siege of of the of the Dreadfort in order to get these characters back, ah, uh, yes, Old Dan is believed to be um, in the Dreadfort, um, along with. Anyone Theon did not kill. But so this would be another few chapters George would have to write. Um, presumably the end of Ramsay would be something you'd want to talk about. But uh, I wonder if George is instead going to have whoever ends up ruling in Winterfell, probably John, but maybe Sansa having to put up with Ramsay in order to tr like to win the war or that kind of thing. That would be more of um, more of the kind of thing I think George would do. But I think it's on the table that if things go poorly in Winterfell following the Battle of Ice, that one or both of the Boltons may may run back to the Dreadfort, and it could very well be that Theon is the key to getting in. But it's also said that Theon is the the key to getting into Winterfell as well. So because he um he broke into it before, and Th uh, Stannis and the others have been asking him about it. Um, it would be I would love to see Old Dan again. I'd love to see um the other courtiers and the uh, people in Winterfell alive and out of the the Dreadfort. But it would be almost kind of hollow because even if they do that. Like the others are coming relatively soon, so it'll be pretty short lived. <clears throat> uh, good call, Sasuke. Um, and as we've established during uh, this stream, Roos is a big fan of holding people hostage and using that for power. So I would suspect that most of the people that were taken from Winterfell are not dead, that they're being held. Um, uh, let's see here. So we answered this one about the House Royce. Uh, Ramona also wanted to know, do we know of any Bolton Stark marriage? So no, there is no Bolton Stark marriage in any of the um, any of the histories, any of that other kind of stuff. It's noticeably absent, which is weird because a lot of the times the Starks, when they didn't exterminate a family, uh, the way they made peace is that they would have a marriage. Um, usually, the Lord or or like the heir would marry a daughter or something like that. They would um, they would have the the beaten family marry into them, and that's how they would do it. But the Boltons and the Starks, despite the extensive Stark. Um, um, history we get and the giant family tree, there's no notice, there's no note of it happening. But that's kind of a technicality because the Boltons and the Starks have both married basically everybody in the North. It's um, it is not a particularly big place like genetics wise. 
So basically all the families are Starks in a way, and they've all intermarried over time. So in effect, the Boltons and the Starks are related by blood probably um through like just by like the law of big numbers it has to have happened at some point so is there a but i think the question is more is there a marriage alliance that was ever made between them not that we know of um so yeah they probably yeah they probably are like genetically related but they've never like as far as we know made a marriage alliance on purpose with them yeah there's there's too many cousins and second cousins and they all intermarry and they all know each other so over time it's happened it's one of those funny things when you think about um, the way that it happens in the books where all these families act like they're enemies and they're so different. But when you look at like two of the biggest enemies, the Blackwoods and the Brackens, um, they are intermarried. Um, they've intermarried many times. They have sealed their feuds with uh, blood over and over again, and they just keep breaking them, even though there's like no difference. Um, let's see here. I, I answered this one from Eric uh, Forig earlier when I was talking about like why are the Boltons still around? Uh, they ask, as with the Ironborn, it's hard to believe their houses would tolerate House Bolton's behavior over the years. Not to advocate wiping out houses, but why did the Starks allow Bolton prominence? Um, so they basically didn't. They didn't have a choice. They couldn't beat them. They couldn't subjugate them. Uh, and as Roos's example says, they very rarely um, explicitly make it true, make it known what they're doing and their crimes. So it's hard to pin them down and they're just powerful enough. And they um, there's probably some there's probably some historical alliances with the veil that made it uh, implausible to kill them, kill all of them. Apparently, <laughs> Luminous Rain's talking about how he would become a vampire. Actually, good question. How many of you guys in the chat would become a vampire? I'm betting it's like half. I bet half of you would really like being a vampire. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, so let's go to the third point. So this is the other very spooky, creepy thing about the Boltons that um, that gets brought up quite a lot. And since we're talking about like Halloween and all the other crazy thing that's going on, I don't know if you guys may have heard about this. Probably have. And it is the Bolton cloakroom. Um, <laughs> interesting. You guys seem split on whether you'd be immortal bloodsuckers. Hmm. Yes. Press one if you'd be a vampire. <laughs> Although I guess you can choose which kind of vampire because some are different than others. Would you be a Twilight vampire? I bet you guys would. I bet you would want to sparkle. Also, if you're talking about like Vampire of the Masquerade, there's all the different um, bloodlines and all that other kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So the special skin room. <laughs> so I have a lot of quotes about this. So I'm just going to go ahead and read them. And if you haven't heard of them, you're about to. The, the Bolton skin room. So here we go. Lord Roos never says a word. He only looks at me. And all I can think of is that room they have in the Dreadfort, where the Boltons hang the skins of their enemies. This is Rob talking. That's just one of Old Nan's stories, Bran said. A note of doubt crept into his voice, isn't it? Uh, another one here from A Clash of Kings, Theon 4. The flayed man was the sigil of House Bolton, Theon knew. Ages past, certain of their lords had gone so far as to cloak themselves in the skin of dead enemies. A number of Starks had ended thus. Supposedly all they supposedly all that had stopped a thousand years ago when the Boltons had bent their knees to Winterfell, or so they say. Old ways die hard, as I well know. Now this is from a Storm of Swords, Jamie 7. During the Age of Heroes, the Boltons used to flay the Starks and wear their skins as cloaks. She looks so miserable that Jamie almost found himself wanting to comfort her. Aww. Jamie's telling horrific stories and surprised that Bran's not feeling good about it. Uh, so this is from A Dance with Dragons, Davos 4. He is a great hunter, said Wyman Manderly, and women are his favorite play. Prey. He strips them naked and sets them loose in the woods. They have half a day's start 
before he sets out after them with hounds and horns. From time to time, some wench escapes and lives to tell the tale. Most are less fortunate. When Ramsay catches them, he rapes them, flays them, and feeds their corpses to his dogs <clears throat> and brings their skins back to the Dreadfort as trophies. If they have given him good sport, he slits their throats before he skins them. Elsewise, the other way around. Yikes. So that's a, that's a modern one. Um, this is from the World of Ice and Fire. King Royce Bolton, second of his name, is said to have taken and burned Winterfell itself. His namesake and descendant Royce IV, remembered by history as Royce Redarm, good God, for his habit of plunging his arm into the bellies of captive foes to pull out their entrails with his bare hand. The same three centuries later. Other Red Kings were reputed to wear cloaks made from the skins of Stark princes they had captured and flayed. Gross. Not cool. Um, let's see here. Ah, oh, yes, another one from the World of Ice and Fire. This is a particularly grim one. The Rape of the Three Sisters is the name by which the northern conquest of the islands is best known. The Chronicles of Lon's sister ascribe many horrors to that conquest. Wild Northmen killing children to fill their cooking plot pots. Soldiers drawing the entrails from living men to wind them around spits. The executions of 3,000 warriors in a single day at the Headman's Mount. Belthazar Bolton's pink pavilion made from the from the flayed skins of a hundred sistermen. Yikes. Uh, and one more here from A Clash of Kings, John 4. Um, this is actually the story of Bale the Bard. John knows one story, but Egret knows another. And this is Egret's version of what happens to the child of Bale the Bard, which tells you that the Boltons, the stories of their crimes went even beyond the wall. Aye, she said, but the gods hate kinslayers even when they kill unknowing. When Lord Stark returned from the battle and he saw Bale's head upon his spear, she threw, and his mother saw Bale's head upon his spear, she threw herself from the tower in her grief. Her son did not long outlive her. One of, one of his lords peeled the skin off him and wore him for a cloak. Yeesh! So this is uh, this is pretty, pretty grim. Um, so the overall message is that throughout history, the flayed man of the Boltons was legitimate and they would do this to their enemies and they would um, take their skins and make them into clothes and cloaks and other kind of things. Um, well, at least that's the stories about them. So is there any truth to it? Well, yeah, it, it does seem like there's a lot of truth to this. So in Reached Chapters, uh, we see the torture chambers from Theon's perspective. Uh, we also hear from Wyman Manderly that it's well known in the North that Ramsay's actually been skinning the women and keeping the, the uh, skin as trophies. Uh, there's also a particularly grim moment when Ramsay and Roose are talking about Lady Dustin. And Ramsay says he's frustrated with Lazy Dustin and he wants to skin her and turn her into boots. And Roose says this. <clears throat> God damn it, Roos, I hate you. Only Lady Barbary, whom you would turn into a pair of boots. Inferior boots. Human skin is not as tough as cowhide and would not wear as well. By the king's decree, you are now a Bolton. Try and act like one. Tales are told of you, Ramsay. I hear them everywhere. People fear you. He goes into a lesson about how Ramsay needs to be more discreet. But think about that quote. Think about that quote where, he, where Ruth is essentially saying, you can't turn a person into boots. Why? Because the leather won't won't wear very well. Human skin, according to Ruth, is not good enough. It will wear. You need cowhide. 
which tells you that Roos has firsthand experience with uh, articles of clothing made from human skin. So yeah, that's not great from Roos. He either owns some or he's done it himself and done the experiments. There is firsthand knowledge of old Roos Bolton about um, uh, skinning people and turning them into articles of clothing, which the, which is what the stories tell us. Um, it's also, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the history and lore episode, but uh, Roos is narrating the House Bolton one, and he brings up the rumors of how <clears throat> there's a Bolton cloak room somewhere deep in the Dreadfort full of these skin cloaks made from Starks, and he basically says, no, 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 there's, there's no skin cloaks down there, don't worry about it. But on the screen, while he's talking, it actually shows the cloak room with a bunch of um, just essentially skinned uh, skins hanging from the walls. Very, very grim. Um, so it's almost for certain that this is true. Also in the pink letter, um, Ramsey claims that he has made Mance a cloak made out of spear wives. Ugh. So it seems for for sure that the Boltons, even though what they how much they've done is probably overblown, they definitely have done this, that this is probably a historical fact that there is a room deep in the Dreadfort where they keep skins of people. But but here's the problem. When Roos says in the history and lore where he he's uh, speaking as himself, the actor is speaking as himself. He's speaking as Roos Bolton. He says there's no cloaks down there of like any Stark princes or anything like that. And that's probably true. Why? Because those happened thousands of years ago and leather does not last that long. Um, if you get really good leather, you can make it last maybe a lifetime before it starts falling apart um, and before it becomes unwearable. It tends to dry out. You know, there's cracks in it disintegrates over time um so whatever cloaks were made in the past are probably gone um over time they have just basically fallen apart and you definitely could not wear them still uh yeah carl carl snark is talking about there are real things called necro pants very yes that th that is true uh it is a real world thing that people have skin people and turn them into clothing um, obviously that's what George is referencing, but there probably is a room where the Boltons would keep the skins of Starks if they had any left, but it would have to be somewhere in the last hundred years, basically. Um, so if they're, they, as far as we know, they haven't skinned any Starks in that time. So, um, if there's anything left of those skins of, uh, Stark princes or their enemies and stuff like that, it's probably in like little chunks or like. Just like scraps of these things left over. They definitely would not be wearable. Um, even shoes and that kind of stuff would not be real um, or not not last very long. So, yeah, that's kind of creepy to think about that. There is sort of a trophy room down in the, the Dreadfort somewhere where they keep the um, whatever little bits of these uh, cloaks and presumably Roos's made boots out of human skin there's probably no starks down in there anymore or nothing that's um that is functional anymore they would essentially be like um like hunting trophies at this point uh pipe weeb says so if human skin doesn't wear well what could they have been referring to um i think they're they took the skins of their enemy skins um so this is one of those things that like kind of matches up with bolt on and like i was talking about earlier about the idea of taking a werewolf skin and then like absorbing their powers that's sort of the idea behind it um but this it's probably not what's going on that's probably not why they did it it seems like the boltons you did it as sort of a a tool to increase their dread essentially to make sure that anybody that went to war with them they were essentially risking that maybe their heirs would end up in a torture room beneath the dread fort and turn into a cloak that kind of thing it's um yeah 
but you can be for you can be certain that Roos himself has experimented with this. Ramsey has as well, just not with like highborns, basically. <laughs> yes, Adrian uh, Burchill says skull collecting is much more practical. Yeah, the skulls last a lot longer than the than leather would. Um, but by the way, that also makes it so that the like every Bolton when they're taught how to um, flay people as they are, um, that they essentially have their own lifetimes worth of trophies. Like I imagine that down in there is who whoever ran whoever uh, roost turned into clothing and then when ramsey inherits it it will be filled with probably the women he's hunted um but it, it does seem very likely that this is true and actually bring up in the chat um Mwagua? i'm gonna i'm gonna guess that's french um says yeah the strong faces man connection yeah this is very similar to the um the hall of faces beneath the faceless men's uh the house of black and white where they do keep the preserved faces for presumably quite a long time so I, I don't know it's it's a it's a good question if the boltons are magic and they're working on the same level as the faceless men then perhaps you could assume that they found a way to make these skins last a lot longer like the faceless men do or george is imagining it but there's not much indication that they're doing it for real that they are doing it for like ramsey has not showed up wearing somebody else's skin and like literally transformed his appearance so if that happens then Sure, maybe there are still like actual real human skin clothing in the Dreadfort, but I would guess definitely the ancient ones are no longer there. Um, and whoever's down there is probably not any high, anyone highborn. They're probably just like trophies. We know Roos um, is a particularly gruesome character. Like, for instance, the story of Ramsey's birth is that uh, Ram Roos was out riding and he came across uh, two peasants that had gotten married. A um, The husband owned a mill, basically. And they had not asked Roos's permission. And because he's such an asshole, he decided he wanted to enforce his right of first first night, the prima nocta. So he hung the husband from a tree and then raped the wife underneath his hanging corpse. And that's how you get Ramsey Bolton. So I would guess, based on Roos's comments and his streak of cruelty, that there that there is trophies of a sort down in the Dreadfort. That he has made yeah kind of gross um and there's actually some real life um uh inspirations for this and i'm guessing that this is who um george is talking about when he came up with the idea of the boltons and the flayed man and i don't know if you guys know about the um one of the most infamous serial killers in u.s history that is of course ed gain um ed gain was a actually not just a serial killer he was also necrophiliac i think he would he killed his victims and then essentially what he did is he would skin them and turn um turn their skin into he upholstered chairs he made lampshades out of them he made clothing out of them he decorated the inside of his house with their bones and their skulls. Uh, real guy. Um, he's also the inspiration for Buffalo Bill. If you've ever seen Silence of the Lambs, um, the whole trying to wear, trying to make a woman's suit and wearing it is a thing that Ed Gain was trying to do in real life. So if you want to think about like, and actually I think the mannerisms of Ed Gain kind of match up with Bruce Bolton. He was a pretty mild person, pretty quiet, kept to himself unless, except when he went out and killed people and then did that to him. Gross. Yeah, he also put the the corpses beneath his house. Um, there's if you really want to go down like a Halloween like and just scare the shit out of you, just go read about Ed Gain. He's a real life version of Bruce Bolton. Everything we're talking about here, he's actually done or he did do. And this happened during when George was young, I believe, or at least the stories were going around when he was young. So 
I'm guessing that's what this is. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs as well. Um, his story is so famous that it has been made into many TV shows and movies just for how horrific it is. Yeah, gross, but true. There, there, there is a um, some room in the Dreadfort where they keep their skin trophies, just not the old ones. Uh, yeah, that's true. He did get most of his heroes from local cemeteries, but he also did kill people and skin them and do that kind of thing. He was a gross, gross guy. Um, leather, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface is a, kind of a reference to them. All sorts of fucked up things. Um, not great. Really not great. So that's that's the truth of Bruce Bolton. And by the way, we're only 13 likes away from me putting on my Gandalf hat. So if you want to do me a favor, go ahead and slam that like button. Um, and since we got about a half hour left, uh, why don't we just do just some general Q&A about Bruce Bolton, anything we've been talking about. Um, also, I wanted to say that the next two videos are coming, are I'm working on them still. Uh, the five-year gap one's basically done. I'm still working on the Tattered Prince one. Um, what is his real identity? That kind of thing. Uh, the Brienne the Beauty um, motif that I'm working with. Um, also, when those come out, there'll be a giveaway. I, I procured something very special from uh, George's uh, shop in Santa Fe. So be giving those away as well um also should be i'm working on i think at the same time i'm also going to launch um like merchandise and that like t-shirts and that kind of thing um been researching which ones i want to use been asking my friends uh, which ones they've been using so i think they got that one nailed down so a lot to look forward to with the upcoming videos after that probably do the <clears throat> undead rob stark that kind of thing yeah like i was talking about before the stream started about how i'm trying to focus more on videos so i'm going to get those out and try and do more of them <clears throat> Uh, Jay Moray says, what do you think of the Targs comparing the Targs to Boltons and aspects of horror? So when I think about Targaryens, I tend to think a lot about um, Sauron, not the Sauron that is the Dark Lord of the of Mordor, that kind of thing. But the Sauron when he was in the skies, where he was essentially he made himself look like the most beautiful elf in the world. And he used that as a tool in order to um, to ingratiate himself with the rest of the world get the rings made, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's kind of more the inspiration what George is going for because the Targaryens and the Valyrians, their associations with fire, their associations with volcanoes, their associations with slavery and uh, conquest seem very similar to what uh, Sauron was doing within Mordor, but they're doing it not looking like orcs. They're doing it looking like, um, you know, beautiful, perfect elves who ride dragons. Also, dragons are heavily associated with Sauron and also Morgoth. So I think that's one of the things George is playing with there, that he wants you to most of the time in fantasy, the uglier a character is, the uglier, the more evil they are, kind of like Ramsey. But the Valyrians kind of go the other way rather than being the altruistic elves or not really altruistic. They're they're much more uh, savage. And yeah, Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, that kind of thing. That's what I think of when I think of the, the Valyrians and the Targaryens. Of course, not all of them. Like, not everybody was like that. And we know that from the Targaryen history. Some were much crueler than others. But I think that's the general idea. And I think the Boltons, if you're trying to compare them, um, the Boltons seem to be much more in the other one I was talking about, where the the more gruesome they appear, the more savage they appear, the more evil they are. Like George has essentially taken that with Ramsey and turned it to 11. Um, Roos is a very different kind of evil, though. Oh, only six more likes, you guys. Uh, I've got a lot of questions going here. Um, let me scroll up and try and grab them. Uh, Dreadfort Leather. I imagine this is a subject, a question that's very close to your heart. Do you think the Bolton name will survive? I don't think so. I don't. I think uh, Roos seems certain he's going to die. 
I tend to agree with the show that it will probably be Ramsey that does it. Actually, Ruth says that in the books that he thinks Ramsey's going to kill him and also Walda and her and his unborn child. Um, I don't think Ramsey has the political competency and everyone knows he's a terrible person and they know his crimes. So unlike Roos, where there's nothing to pin down on him, um, everyone knows who he is, knows what he does and knows what he did to Lady Hornwood. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any chance that by the end of the story, Ramsey makes it out alive. I think he's I think he's done so. Um, uh, Stephen Stark says, what do you think is the origin of the flaying? Like, why did the first Boltons start doing it? Um, why did they start doing it? Well, there's sort of a thing that you see in a, in a lot of cultures where you take trophies from your enemies and um, you use that to terrify them into like not attacking you again or to surrender when you show up. Uh, you see that with people wearing skulls. You see that with uh, there's actually mentioned in the books the idea of um, using skulls as cups, using your enemies that way. So I imagine that the, the reason the Boltons started flaying people not only was just for the torture to like um, to hurt them, but also as a like I was talking about a terror technique to a way of dread like you can imagine the first Bolton to turn somebody into a cloak probably wore it to a meeting with their enemy or something like that and like pointed out, oh, by the way, this is your son on my back or something like that. Um, it doesn't work if the other people don't know about it. So that's the point of it, I would guess. <clears throat> Uh, Guilty Undertaker says, how much of the popularity of Bolton is rooted in the fact that Roos does act like a vampire to the Stark cause, believing their strength to preserve his own? Um, I imagine that's part of it. George is really emphasizing the whole vampire motif for him. Um, lots of associations with blood. Uh, the behavior matches up with the pop culture versions and his own versions of vampires. Um, but that, that is an interesting point that, um, it's not just like actually putting his fangs on somebody's neck and draining their blood. Yeah, he is. Um, I didn't talk about this a lot because there's a lot of interesting things about Roos and his behavior. And like, when exactly did he turn? When exactly did he start sabotaging the Starks? Like there's the, um, the battle where he sent a whole bunch of soldiers to die that belonged to his enemies. He seemed to be doing that the whole time, but like when exactly did that turn? Um, yeah, I think that's a good point that not only just the characterization, but the behavior seems to work. Um, uh, people are dropping more Ed Gain knowledge. Awesome. If you really want to, yeah, if you really want to have a bad night, just go ahead and read his Wikipedia article. Not, not great. <coughs> Let me scroll up. Uh, Amy Blackfire says, I get that Roos only has Ramsey and Ramsey's just going to kill this other kid that Walda has. So why doesn't Roos just kill off Ramsey? Um, because he still needs him. Um, Roos is, they're in the middle of a civil war. Everyone hates him. He's probably not likely to survive it. He knows he's not likely to survive it. So, um, I would guess that Roos is still thinking, I know Ramsey's going to do this, but he still made it to adulthood. And I, he at least has like the right motives, if not the uh, the correct behavior. So it's not I don't think it's his first choice. I think he would rather have a better heir than Ramsey. But um, I mean, if he knew that all those kids were going to make it to adulthood, but like he doesn't know that. And it would be kind of silly for him to take out Ramsey, not ever knowing that he was going to have another heir. Um, I, I think that's the explanation there he's just sort of playing it like a pragmatist. He's like, I don't have a lot of other options. Maybe if Ramsey doesn't kill these kids, maybe eventually he'd let Ramsey go. But until then, there's not, not a lot he can do as long as he wants the Bolton name to survive. <clears throat> uh, Isabel Lamego says, what if the Boltons are a parallel to skin changers entering people's bodies? Yes, that's that is absolutely true. The um, way George uses skin changing in his other stories is physical. It's not the 
he does use skin changing. Well, okay, so he does use skin changing mentally. He does use psychic powers sometimes, but he also definitely uses the motif of having somebody skin somebody else, put it on. I mean, like I like to talk about, he does it with werewolves most of the time, but it's an idea that he does play with um, whether or not he wants it to be psychic powers or whether or not he wants it to be physical powers. Oh, wizard hat time. All right, hang on a second. Oh, oh flopped around on me. Nobody wants a floppy hat. Uh, I got better off to the side. That way you can actually see it. Really floppy. <laughs> I should stop saying things are really floppy. There you go, guys. 150 likes. You nailed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, another 25. We'll throw on the other hat. That one's more comfortable. I like that one better. I can see why George wears it. Those hats are pretty good. Of course, now I have my headphones off. So now I can just hear myself talking. It's weird. Um, but yeah, Isabel, definitely. They, they are parallels. They are just different ways of getting the same effect, which is, George is honestly a fan of in his works. He often takes the same core idea and just kind of plays around with it until he gets the one he wants or whatever works in the current story. Um, very much a fan of that. <laughs> Yes, spam those hat emojis. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I was pretty high, high on the chat, so I'm going to scroll back up and grab some more questions. Let's see here. It was Aaron that asked, no, Amy that asked one less with Isabel. Um, ah, good question from Daniel, who gave quite a lot of super chats earlier. I appreciate those, Daniel. Uh, it seems like Kat has this vendetta against the phrase and not so much against the Boltons. I wonder why that is. I think she does have a revenge streak against the Boltons plan. It's just that they are far away. There's no Boltons in the Riverlands anymore, whereas there's phrase everywhere. And so you can kill a lot more of those than you can get at, um, Ramsey and Roos, and we also know that when Ramsey was when Roos and Ramsey were coming, no, when Roos was coming back to the north, he the Cranog men essentially went crazy trying to assassinate him. So it seems likely that, um, and since we know that Cat has found or Lady Stoneheart has journeyed up that way, that there may be some contact there with Howland Reed, and they are planning eventually to go after the Boltons. Just like she can't right now, they're a little bit out of her reach. Um, is Michael Bolton actually a bolt on Roos? There you go. That's there's a question. Is Michael Bolton a vampire? Maybe. I hope so. Also, I mean, Bolton's a real place in England, so that's where the name comes from. Um, Dornish Dame says, what do you think was in the book Roos threw into the fire at Harrenhal and Clash of Kings? So this is one of those moments that people have uh, tinfoiled about quite a bit. So what happened was while Roos was in control of Harrenhal, he had, um, Harrenhal had an extensive library and he was essentially reading through them, smirking, and then throwing them into the fire. Um, was there anything special in the books? I tend to think it's just Roos being destructive that, um, in the same way he enjoys killing people that, and the pain that he can cause that he also takes some perverse joy in just destroying some knowledge and destroying books and that kind of thing. Cause Roos is not the kind of person that wants a, he's not a, um, what's the right word for it? He's not a patron of education or knowledge. What he wants is himself in charge. Everyone's scared to oppose him. And that's just kind of it. That's what, that's what Roos wants. Um, I would doubt there's anything special in those books. I just think he was doing it because it made him feel nice to destroy something. It seems to be kind of his, uh, the way he goes about things. And it's, Unlike Ramsey, where it's like hunting people through the woods or hunting hunting women through the woods, um, that's the kind of like subtle thing that Roos could do that would just like make him feel nice. And there's no way there's he would never get in trouble for it. It's just like a dickish thing to do. Um, Brian Lowe talking about how he surprised the Boltons of a similar story uh, to Vlad, like that they don't have thousands of flayed men to scare off attackers. Hey, maybe they will. Maybe if uh, Ramsey retreats to the Dreadfort, he'll um, he'll take all the Winterfell captives and flay them and put them up uh, on the walls or something like that to scare off the Winterfell people. Um, that's a thing I think that happened in the show. Ramsay did put a flayed person, uh, a couple of flayed people on display. I think it was the Cassells. 
or the Kerwins. I think it was the Kerwins. But yeah, I imagine Ramsey would do that much more than Roos would. Um, Stanko says, will Roos survive uh, wins a winner? If yes, what could be his person purpose in the story? No, I don't think he's going to survive. I think Ramsey's going to get him or he's going to die in the sack of Winterfell. Um, when it seems like either the Manderleys with Lady Dustin and the rest of the houses come after him or Stannis takes it. One way or another, uh, Roos is not long for this world. The uh, the North remembers, as it were. <laughs> um, yes, they did also display uh, Flay the Ironborn. That's true. And uh, Close, Clock, no, I'm saying this wrong. And Close says, do you think the Bolton ancestors were jealous of skin changes as a way of taking the idea and making a physical based version of that leveling the playing field? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it had much to do with the skin changing itself, although George does play with that idea. Um, I think it was just that that was their strategy for um, making sure nobody messed with them, but they made the cost of um, fighting them too high that it would be horrific if you went too far. Um, let me check PayPal real fast. Got a bunch of notifications. Oh, no, nothing there. OK, um, let me scroll down some more. <laughs> I do love seeing those hat emojis. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate you uh, doing that stuff. And after the stream, if you're watching this on replay, make sure um, leave a comment, talk about um, Actually, people have been doing a thing where they're going like for the algorithm. I guess that's fine. I'd rather you left like a real comment that like something to read or respond to. Um, but, you know, you do you. Um, yes. One of Roos's second wife was uh, Barbary Riz Riswell's sister. I do have a theory that Domrick was not a Bolton. And maybe that's why uh, Roos was OK with him dying and he didn't stop Ramsey when he had two of them. Uh, Daniel Basich. Basich? Basic? Who do you think deserves to kill Roos the most? Um, who deserves it the most? Ah, Lady Stoneheart. Lady Stoneheart would have, that would be the most satisfying way for him to go out, for Catelyn to pay back his betrayal, since it was done to her personally. Um, would Domerick be a good subordinate to Rob Stark? He seemed like a good bloke, unlike his brother, father and half-brother. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the problems that um, maybe Roos had with Domerick, that he was not a savage personality. He seemed well liked. He liked playing music. He was a student. He was he was good at being attorney knight, that kind of thing. And those are unbolton characteristics. Um, so that's part of the reason that I think maybe Roos let Domerick die, let let him meet Ramsay and then allowed the poisoning to happen because he wasn't a big fan of Domerick as a person. And he probably would have changed the Bolton family, whereas Ramsay's like all on board flaying people and being an evil dick. Um... <coughs> Um, have people looked in the history of the city of Bolton look for links to Roos Bolton? I have not. Um, I believe we do have some, um, oh, Emma Smith, our resident English person or British person. I think she's English talking about it. Bolton's in the Northwest near Manchester, a region known for cloth making. Wow. That's gross. That at least makes some sense. Um, gross. Alberto Lopez. First time catching you live. Hey, glad you finally could. Um, oh, was there, did you send me one? Oh, you did. Okay. I figured out how to read them all. Hang on. I figured this out so I don't have to uh, ask you to re-say re it. Also, don't worry about giving me money. <laughs> like, I appreciate it, but like, more thank you. This is not like a... Um... Okay. So Aaron says, no question, but thanks for another great stream. These have hugely helped in keeping me sane during COVID madness. I appreciate you so much. That's very kind of you, Aaron. I That's part of the reason I started doing these was um, as part of my job, I have to sometimes go into the hospitals and to the, um, the floors with the active COVID cases. So I have to essentially... Um, isolate myself afterwards, make sure I don't um, infect anybody. So I'm actually in the middle of those right now. I'm going to be um, isolating.
isolating until next Monday. So I'm basically going to be stuck in here writing stuff about A Song of Ice and Fire, hanging around on Slack, posting on Twitter and playing games because I can't do much else. Um, it's too dangerous. But I appreciate the uh, the PayPal, Aaron, and the sentiments. Uh, I'm very glad you guys have responded to these. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing them, getting to know you people, seeing names as they come through, doing all these different topics on things I normally wouldn't like. I did a stream on Ario Hota. Raise your hand if you thought I would ever do a stream on Ario Hota. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's rough. It's, it's worse for the actual clinical staff. Uh, they have to do it day in and day out and risk their lives. I only have to do it every once in a while, but it still means that, um, I still have to do it. So it's the only way to keep, to make sure I don't spread it and I don't catch it. Um, I'm not, stop it, you guys. Actually, Nessie, uh, the questing beast who, um, is often on Here Be Dragons with Steven Stark is an actual hero. She, um, she is a clinical, well, her, I don't want to out what her job is, but she's a clinical person who has much more contact with COVID on a regular basis. So if you want to thank somebody, thank Nessie. I am just a, um, I just have to part-time help out every once in a while. My job is mostly sitting behind a computer and typing. You couldn't talk about Ariota for 10 minutes. <laughs> I found a way to do it for two hours with uh, Alicia Kingston. That was a really good one. Uh, let's grab a few more questions where um, voice is starting to get out. And I got uh, I got to prepare for a recording tonight. A very spooky one as well. A very different spooky one. This is more like serial killer spooky. That's going to be um, a different one. I don't think they have announced it, but it's going to be fun. I've seen the script already or the outline, not a script. Um, would Domrick have approved of his father's actions? I don't think so at all. I think Domrick probably did not like his father at all. It, it would be hard to imagine how he would, considering the descriptions of Domrick we get, that he was a sweet boy, that he just seemed like a normal guy, which actually makes me wonder again, if he's not actually Roos's son, if he's a Brandon Stark's kid. Roos is very focused on the eyes. Like if Domrick came out with the wrong eyes, would he suspect him of not being his son? Uh, Bryson Chung says, I think that allowing your potential heirs to murder each other is a method to make sure only the cruelest Bolton inherits. Yeah, I think that's kind of what's going on there. That um, the Boltons over time have essentially um, allowed a free-for-all among the heirs. Maybe something like uh, you see in Star Wars with the Sith, where the, uh, the apprentice has to kill the master to become the master. And I imagine that's kind of what's going on there, what George is thinking about, just to ensure that it's always the most savage or politically savvy member of the family that inherits, not just by primogeniture. Uh, will there be a Radio Westeros stream tonight? And main lover Nicole says, I don't think so. I think they're going next week. Yes, Domerick with gray eyes, gray stark eyes. And Roosus goes, I don't think you're my kid. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Thank you, Dorish team. Thank you for doing these streams. Someone who lives alone is working from home. A song based in community online has kept me going through COVID. Pretty much the same. Uh, total, well, I have to be in total isolation for two weeks, but yeah, I work from home too. Um, sit on a computer most of the day, so... It's been tough, tough for everybody. Um, if Ramsey kills Roos, uh, this is through the moon door, how is he going to get away with it? Uh, I think he's going to get away with it because he's now the Lord of House Bolton. Who's going to stop him? If he's in the Dreadfort, like they're pretty much used to sociopathic killers being their lords. So I don't think they're going to be like, oh no, you killed Roos. How, how terrible. I think they'd probably be like, all right, I guess you're, I guess you're in charge now. There's nobody else. Um, Adrian Birchall says, do the Boltons have a cadet house? No, but they should. Everyone should have cadet houses. Like, this is one of the bigger fictions of A Song of Ice and Fire, um, that there's basically only the main family, and that's kind of it for almost all the houses. There's some cousins in larger ones, like the Lannisters, like the Lannisters of Lannisport, and there's a lot of cousins of the um, of the Tyrells. But in general, what actually happened with large houses is they had tons of cadet branches, um, lots of holdings, because... George has not only like shrunk the family size, but also like how many towns and towers and keeps there would be. 
and how um and how these families spread out there would be tons of them um even when you look at the the real families like i i post about this i th i think it was in the not a class slack I was talking about how um, not only were there cadet branches of these j massive families, but a lot of times they didn't even really keep track of their quote unquote last name anymore. Like if you're talking about the Capes of um, of France who ruled it for like a thousand years, I think, or something like that, they there were just so many of them that they ended up just taking their titles as their names, even though they were like members of the dynasty, but they didn't like have like the last name or they didn't use it. Like um, a lot of times it would be like the, instead of being like Louis Capet, they would be like Louis of Burgundy or something like that, even though they were all under the same, the same quote unquote dynasty. And also one thing that George very much fictionalizes is the idea that um, the, okay, let me say this correctly, <laughs> that families only kept track of male inheritance. Female inheritance um, in a lot of places in medieval Europe was very much on the table. It wasn't, and they would keep track of the other members of the dynasty and the, the way the claims interacted and the wars that would happen because of it <clears throat> were pretty frequent. Um, and methods of inheritance were um, not always set in stone. They kind of depended on a lot of times who won the war, but there would be, yeah, Edward Longshanks had like 13 children. Each one of those children would have made their own cadet branch, basically, um, those who lived or they would take their own holdings and do that kind of thing. Like even today, if you look at like the French royalty, that are still alive. Um, the legacy of the Capes, um, there's still, he wears the title, doesn't mean anything, but there's a Duke of France and um, like the Count of Paris, even though they're not real anymore. So yeah, it's brevity for the sake of fiction, but there would not just be House Stark and then the Car Starks and that's it. With a family that long a lineage and that powerful, there would be tons of Starks all over the place. There would be cousins and second cousins, cadet branches, people holding towns. There would probably be um, a Stark Lord of Wintertown, likely. Um, there would be every little holding, every little castle and keep would have some member of the dynasty holding it as much as they could. Um, yeah, uh, Kevin Isles says, speaking of cadet houses, the War of the Roses was started because of rival, rival cadet branches. Yeah, it happened all the time. York and Lancaster were cadet branches of house, um, I'm guessing this is French, so Plongenet, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, even what the main house or the main lineage of um, a particular dynasty would change over time. I'm probably, I probably did not pronounce that right, but yeah. Um, yeah, Eric Peterson, like the Targaryens all got wiped out. Yeah, that would never happen in, in real life. It would take a really concerted effort to wipe out every member of a dynasty that ruled an entire kingdom essentially for 300 years. There would always be bastards. There would always be matrilineal marriages. Like George in particular, I think for simplification, basically does not keep track of daughters and who they married. But in real life, their claims would be seen as legitimate. Oh, it's regular English? Okay. I just figured because it's English, most of the lore, most of the kings were actually French and then German. I don't think there's been an English king for since before 1066. I think that's right. I did take French. I did it badly. Yeah, lots of douches and duchies still in France. They don't do anything. They, they're not like real, but they still have the titles. Um, actually, if you want to have a lot of fun, there's a particular rivalry that's still going on between the Bonapartists and the Capet family. Um, uh, the Capets were overthrown in the French Revolution. The Bonapartists eventually ended up as kings and emperors at France, and they still fight it out to figure out who's the heir to the French throne, um, even though the French throne does not exist and their families have lost all power. 
it's like um the targaryens and the baratheons still fighting over who um who should have the throne but the throne's gone uh yeah it's harold godwinson the uh the dude that always dies at the beginning of a ck3 game when you're playing it when you play at 1066 yep emma's not here but i'm sure she um i'm sure she doesn't appreciate that little factoid by the way the current english monarchs are german they don't like people to hear that they're german um they changed their name to windsor to sound more english but you know over time that that doesn't really mean much because they married people from the local area but yeah that's that's kind of how it goes that's one of those um where people are like george is writing a real history it's it's true to life it's like none of how the families interact and their size and how the inheritance work is actually true to fact. He just kind of, it's it's uh, a pop culture version, which is fun. He's not a historian. He's writing for fun. <laughs> oh, that's funny to know. Uh, Isabel Lamego talking about how in Portuguese, the word for the devil is very close to cape. I can see it. The Carolingians were pretty big for a while. Ah, Emma is in the chat. <laughs> uh, this is taking a sharp turn from the Boltons. But yeah, I think that's... The Boltons will be wiped out in the winds of winter, or at least a dream of spring. Definitely Roos is out of here, and there will be no one to claim it because George is not written in the um, actual cousins and cadet branches and uh, minor claimants because they're not part of his story. That's not what he's writing about. He's writing about these characters, and he's fictionally, very fictionally narrowed um, how all this works just for simplicity. Yeah, they were House Hanover and House uh, Gotha and... Hang on a second. I know this one. Uh, they were uh, Saxe, Coburg, and Gotha. That's the actual name of House Windsor before they changed their name. When they started fighting the Germans, the English people were like, aren't you German? And they were like, no, we're House Windsor. <laughs> we're English. <laughs> um, uh, we'll take uh, like one or two more. Um, and then I think we're going to out i gotta get ready for the stream tonight or not the stream the the recording i have to do some research um this has become a feudalism stream <laughs> um oh um uh stanko says but domrick seems to have bolton trace based on the picture in the sun and fire wiki i believe that's fan art i don't think that's actually um any kind of picture of him we don't have a physical description of domrick so uh a lot of times the song of ice and fire wiki the pictures they use are not from anything um if they can they get stuff usually from the calendars or they get it from the illustrated versions or the cards but even the cards themselves, like the uh, the card game, the art is not not always correct, um, especially for minor characters. Sometimes they um, they essentially the card artists get a general description and they write to it. And if George cares, then he sends back notes. But a lot of time, not always. Um, if all northern families are related, when does it stop being kinslaying? Um, that's sort of a problem with George's idea of kinslaying. Um, they're also intermarried that. It would be hard to go to war with any of them and not kill a member of your family through some different family tree. I imagine that they have some measure of how close you have to be related before it's not kinslaying. That should be a fun question for um, a Learned Hands podcast if they wanted to sort of break down at what point do you stop? Is it stop? Is it not kinslaying anymore? I think it would be considered kinslaying if in living memory um, or if people can remember the marriage. But the Karstarks bring it up um, when um, Lord Karstark is killed by Rob. He says he calls it kinslaying, um, that the Karstarks are a member of the Stark dynasty. Therefore, he's killing his family and he's right. Um, Robert Baratheon killing Ares or killing Rhaegar is kinslaying. The, um, the, 
the, the Targaryens and the Baratheons are related through Robert's grandmother, who was a Targaryen. The uh, makeup marriage for Prince Duncan of uh, Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies, when he chose Jenny of Oldstones, um, a younger daughter of egg was married into the baratheon dynasty so yeah it, it's i think it's sort of i imagine it's like at third cousins they decide that it's not kinslaying anymore but it's all arbitrary everyone in the north if you look at the stark family tree you can find just about every house you've ever heard of at some point marrying into their family and um into the main line i mean like marrying into a lord of winterfell um same goes for all the rest of them it's like it's kind of funny when they when they talk about it that way it's like oh house gardener's gone it's like not really like they would have married into all their vassals there's actually um in the crusader kings to song of ice and fire mod there's a their family called Old Flowers, which are essentially the a bastard house of the the main house gardener. In real life, they would have had a real claim to push, but um, in the aftermath of the Targaryen War, <laughs> Jamie killing Ares is kinsling. <gasps> Uh, no, Aaron, they, they consider it depends. I think if you're in the same dynasty, it's always kinslang. Like even if like Lannisters and Lannisport and Lannisters of Cashley Rock, if they actually haven't like had a common ancestor in a few hundred years, I think if one of them killed the other, it would always be kinslang. But if, if it's the, um, but if it's not, if it's a, if it's through a matrilineal line, I think they probably let it go after like two or three generations. Yeah. Impossible to extinguish the gardeners. They are everywhere. So yeah, Bolton's in the story will be gone in real life they would not be there would always be someone to jump up and say yeah I, through back up like two generations i'm the eldest heir to the house bolton through this person that's probably what would happen if they wanted to the starks could always burn down the dread fort all right um so unless you guys have any last questions or super chats or whatever um probably gonna call it a day on the old roast bolton chat which became um talking about like actual dynasty and family history and how it would work and how george's version is wrong sort of serial killers ended up with um house windsor and talking about how they're german <laughs> but yeah every everything would be kinslaying there be, would be impossible in george's very limited way of having the families interact and not kinslay so yeah um, make sure you subscribe, uh, hit the like button, leave a comment, leave a review, um, support me on Patreon if, um, if you enjoy these streams, um, and the content that's coming out, two collaborations coming up in the next two weeks. And also in November, uh, Brendan Beefish will be appearing and we'll be talking about the Stormlands and the Winds of Winter. We originally planned on doing that, um, when I released the video on, uh, Edric Storm, but we're going to do that now that he has time. Um, yeah, the videos are coming out. Merchandise is going to come out. We're going to do a re I'm going to relaunch the channel basically with all new artwork. You guys have probably seen it on Twitter and stuff like that. San Rixian's been hard at work or had been hard at work finishing it. I believe it's basically done. I'm just we're just working on the the intro video, but that's going to be that's going to be quick. So yeah, look for all that stuff coming out. Um I will see you guys next weekend uh for Halloween where just to remind you guys I think I think we're going to do like a group watch thing of the shining. I think that's what we're going to do instead of doing a live stream because I will be appearing on somebody else's live stream earlier in the day talking about Halloween. I think that's a more fun personal way to enjoy it than me talking about lore for a while. So yeah. Um appreciate you guys. Um didn't quite get to the other hat, but that's okay. And have a great weekend. Um